Yesterday on What's on Joe Mind. I just got a request for Sarah, myself, and Maggie to make our own calendar. And I'm like, no way. I know where that goes. Well, I'm sure they use the word tasteful. They said, why don't you girls do your own calendar? And I said, Mm -hmm. oh, well, it takes time. (laughs) It's nothing an artist's model wouldn't do. Um, March (laughs) and April are stuck together. everybody. Mike Grizzary here from What's On Joe Mind. With me, of course, normal co-host Parson Metaxas, Joe Colton. Very special guest with us tonight. We'll, we'll put this up as an interview, or put this up as an interview. We'll put this interview up as a special edition. Put this up as an interview. I'm good. Are I think, you drinking the wine? I'm a pro. I think Mark, Mark might have Mike nervous for the first time. No. What is going on? No. believe Maybe the first time this guy had me nervous. This time, this is like... This is the fourth trip on this show for this guy. Mark Belomo, yep. ladies and gentlemen, is our guest, guest tonight. Author of Welcome. The Ultimate Guide to G.I. Joe, 1982 to 1994. Third edition is out on stands now, making waves and causing ripples and breaking minds in our little collecting community. Mark, how breaking are you? Breaking supply chains also. <laughs> Stop stepping on Mark's intro. <laughs> Hi, everybody. How is everyone doing tonight? I'm glad to be here. You know, I listen to What's On Joe Mine all the time. So, old hat for me at this time, I think. You've been with us through the years and, and the cast oh. changes and all that other good stuff. No intros necessary. Yes, I have. I'm sorry. Are you this nervous? Is going, going this on? is going really smooth. This is I think, I think Mike's a little nervous. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so Mike, you want to just jump in with the questions I'm here? Just gonna, I, I've picked up my spiral notebook. I have questions ready to go. I'm a professional. Okay. First question. Mark, go back about ten years the first editions of these books came out. And then there was a second, and now several years afterwards there's a third. Why was this the time to bring this book back to the market? I think because I would get between let's say fifteen and twenty either PMs or emails a week from collectors saying Mark, I love the first edition of the G.I. Joe book. I wanted to get the second edition, but when I went on eBay, it's selling for between, I don't know, at that time, $75 and $125 used. I don't want to buy a used copy of the first edition because I took the photos in that book, and it's nowhere near as good as the second edition. But it got to the point where the demand that I saw personally and the calls that my acquisitions editor, Paul Kennedy at Krause Publications, was getting, we, we said, all right, the Transformers book, the second edition of the Transformers book did well. The Star Wars book did phenomenally well. A lot of people will bundle things when they buy stuff around Christmas time. Why don't we put out a G.I. Joe book? And I just, you know, at that time, I think it was just really a conversation. We didn't do any research. It was just this feeling that I got that, there seemed to be a little bit of a swell occurring in the G.I. Joe community. And I've mentioned this to a lot of people. I think it was in August of 2017, where the Facebook group 
ARAH Vintage GI Joe 3 and 3 quarter inch, 82 to 94 started. And I just watched the membership go from a couple dozen people in the summer of 2017 to now where it stands. And I haven't, I haven't looked in about three weeks. I think there are 12,000 members of it. Mm-hmm. So for a brand that's, and everyone likes to use the word dead, for a brand that's dead, there seems to be a pretty rabid following. And not of the 12-inch stuff, not of the Sigma 6 stuff, mm-hmm. really of the a real American hero brand, the Larry Hama, Ron Rudat, H. Kirk Bazigian, that old school stuff. And it really kind of, it doesn't make sense. It's counterintuitive for me to convince my book company to put out a book that has no media product on the shelves. But Paul and I talked and we said, we're getting all this response from people who have bought earlier editions. Why don't we polish it off, add a few more pages, make it hardcover, add some ephemera, some new information. And I'm never left speechless, but on at least three occasions over the course of the last month since the book came out on October 30th, I've received emails from Krause Publications with <laughs> with messages like, in 20 years, this is, I'm paraphrasing, this is the, the biggest seller that Krause Publications, who's the world's largest publisher of Leisure Time Books and Magazine, has sold in two decades. Wow. What? Wow. Yeah, no, can't make it up. Two decades. Wow. This will frame it for you. We have an idea of what a print run for a book is going to be, and this is the first time that Krause has ever entirely sold out of an entire print run of a book in a month. Wow. Hmm. For, uh, again, I have to say it, for a toy line that doesn't exist in the current zeitgeist other than in the hearts and minds of the old and new fans of the brand. And like an occasional punchline on sitcoms, you know? Sure, but, but you know what I've noticed about this third generation of fans, and we'll get into breaking that down, all the, the newer G.I. Joe fans that didn't grow up with the brand, they have a certain reverence for this brand. And they, you know, a, a lot of the, the old school guys like us, not that we're old, we're, we're veterans, we're seasoned. <laughs> um, when we used to watch the joking clips on, you know, on Adult Swim, on uh, Robot Chicken, or when we looked at the TV adverts, yeah, it's funny, it's, you know, it's, it's cringe-core, it's cringe-worthy. A lot of these newer fans take this brand pretty seriously. I have a reverence for like the first, the original thirteen, and for nineteen eighty two to nineteen ninety to nineteen eighty two to nineteen eighty four eighty five. Some are devoted to the nineteen ninety line or the nineteen ninety one line. It's oh yeah, it's wonderful. Like people arguing, and I think I got a nosebleed when I saw this about six months ago. People <laughs> arguing about which sample of Captain Gridiron was more perfect because that's the one they wanted that's crazy wow. that was the, a that was a throwaway figure yeah the answer to that us, is none but right but now <laughs> it's you've got to contend with 14 accessories uh, a mm. translucent visor his pelvis is like glass it's almost like gold plastic syndrome so there are these little things that i took for granted with the later lines that the newer fans, because they're not looking at the at the brand 
through the prism of having grown up with the show, they look at every figure, vehicle, weapon, accessory, creature, playset, and mail away with no preconceived notions of this guy was cool in the comic, she was cool in the car in the animated program, so that's who I want. They mm. look at these figures by virtue of the figures themselves, and it's really interesting to watch. Yeah, I, I agree. I think for a lot of us that were there for the Sunbow cartoon, we kind of discount that early 90s run of characters because of the obviously lower quality of the Deke cartoon. I think you're right. Some people that are coming into the hobby now don't bring that baggage to those early 90s, 90s figures. You know, They just see it with fresh eyes, so to speak. Right, and credit them for asking questions that I don't even think to ask, like you know the 1990 line uh, stretcher. Great figure, beautiful figure, is now a hot figure because of all the... But, you know, I I forgot that he came with a label sheet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is becoming more... People are becoming more insistent on when they purchase even a loose sample of the figure. Does it have the labels? Uh, are they intact? Are wow. they going the right way on the stretcher? And, as someone pointed out to me, if you look at the the medical symbol utilized by stretcher and you look at lifeline and his card it's the same symbol yep. they they imported it from figure to figure so this is stuff that i learn and as everyone who's on this panel of specialists knows part of the joy in collecting action figures and toy lines is being an amateur archaeologist mm-hmm. is learning these new things as we go along, and I can't get enough of that stuff. I love it. And thank you to all the, the newer fans who are making me appreciate Captain Gridiron, who are yeah. making me revisit the later iterations of some of my favorite characters and, and recognizing the virtue. That's right. I, I saw your post about Lifeline sticker. It's the little circle with the two lines mm-hmm. through it, right? Yeah, yep. and I, I had never noticed that, and obviously I've looked at this stuff a lot, you know, restoring the card art and doing the 3D Joes thing, so I had never noticed that that medical kind of battalion sticker, that circle with the two stripes there, was consistent, and that impresses me because, you know, you know, Ron Rudat did Lifeline. Ron left in 87. He was right? gone, so who was there to kind of oh. keep that continuity between those two figure designs? Like, whoever connected but, the dots but, on that, kudos to them. But Carson, that's the conversations that I've been having lately with the younger guys who are teaching me something. And that's what's remarkable about those brands in the 80s that you don't see anymore, which is when Jim Shooter wanted wanted to get together Marvel Super Secret Wars, when he wanted to put together the Transformers, when he wanted to put together G.I. Joe, at the behest of Hasbro, at the behest of Mattel, he or, or the companies allowed Marvel Comics to be the creators, to be creative. They allowed the creators to do what they needed to do without interference by marketing or executives. They let the creatives breathe. And those worlds, those fictional worlds, keep on giving because of the depth. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Jim Shooter also is a personal hero of mine. Uh, Valiant Comics was my favorite comic publisher uh, around 93, 94. That guy could build a universe in his sleep. Talking about Valiant, I went to my parents' house for Thanksgiving, and I actually, I'm 
I keep some of my comic collection there, and I, I found my mail-away Magnus the Robot Fighter poster. Nice. Um, oh, that, I never that had promotion. that. Oh, yeah, I love and, that and poster. It was, still, it was still in its original box, shipping oh box. Whoa. And I was going through you know, all my Valiant, and I made yeah. sure that when I clipped a coupon out of a Valiant issue for Redemption that I bought a second issue that was untouched. And what Jim did for the Valiant Universe was in, not to digress, but Mm -hmm. in response to Image, in response to the rise of the superstar artist, a la Jim Lee, Todd McFarlane, Rob Liefeld, he said, stories Mm -hmm. matter. The the world-building matters. And that's what he did. I mean, if you look at Jim Shooter's two-page Transformers treatment that he wrote and then handed to Bob Budiansky to write the uh, the tech specs. Mm-hmm. If you look at that two-page treatment, and you have the treatment in your hand, and you've never seen a Transformer before, you've never played with a toy, you've never watched the animated series, and you go and you watch the first live-action Transformers film, that two-page treatment is word-for-word word the essence of that film. They built these worlds so expertly and so perfectly back then that the ripples and waves resonate up to the present day, which is why these brands are so viable. Awesome. So I won't digress any more on Valiant other to say, <laughs> other than to say if there's any listeners that have never tried out Valiant, 1992, 1993, everything leading up to the giant Unity crossover where Jim Shooter was at the helm, read all of it. It is flawless continuity between all the books, and they're all so unique. So anyway, you're not going to be able to find the individual issues, but buy the trades because you you do know that all the back issues are skyrocketing, right? You can get them pretty cheap online. Just go on to Comixology. You can buy all the vintage Valiant stuff because Valiant is alive and well. They're not a huge publisher now, but they rebooted in 2012 by some fans that bought out the intellectual property at a bankruptcy proceeding for uh, acclaimed video games that went out of business after making Shadow Man and Exo Man of War and Turok video games based off their properties. Oh, man. So, Mark, I feel like we should record a whole podcast just you and me shooting the breeze on Valiant because I feel like you should go deep with me. <laughs> we'll go deep on that later, man. Well, so- and that's, I just wanted to say, I know people who are listening are familiar with the work that I do on the G.I. Joe brand, but I've, I haven't counted my action figures in the last year and a half. So I probably have about eighty five to 90,000 action figures and let's wow. say... Uh, at this point, 160,000 comics somewhere, somewhere around there. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. When I buy comics or when I buy toys, I'm not the guy who's like, oh, let's let's put it here and never touch it. I read every comic that I buy. Wow. When I get a new action figure, I cut the bubble three quarters of the way around, take it out, play with it, display it for a little bit, then you know, take it out again eventually. So I I'm a Opening stuff, I mean, I'll never open a vintage toy that's, you know, I'm not going to take get a 1982 Stalker and cut the bubble open that's, that's taking hundreds of dollars and setting it on fire. But, you know, if I can buy stuff mint in box with sealed contents, but I finished G.I. Joe and Transformers and Star Wars and Marvel and DC superheroes, the vintage stuff many years ago before <laughs> it exploded. So. so go on. I'm sorry. I digress. I do that. So I, I want to circle back around to your hardcover. So 
I want to make sure we cover that pretty heavily on this episode because that's what's new and that's what everybody's so excited about. And I'm sure you're getting fielding hundreds of questions on it. I just wanted to say from an outsider, a, a third party perspective here, the most common question I've seen for you is like, well, what's changed or what info is new? And I'll say from the outside looking in, the graphic design looks like it got a, a shot in the arm. Uh, everything seems to be very nice. It's it's a nice kind of 3.0 version from a graphic design perspective. You've got uh, highlighter notes that add a little color to each of those figure sections. You've got a sunburst behind the code name. You've added some graphic design elements like top secret folders or mail order envelopes to help with a quick visual identifier for where those figures pop up in the figure sections. Like I already said, it's a hardcover. It's the first hardcover. you got the photo liner of, as the as a really good intro and closing. You've got new content in there. So all these kind of mail order print peripheral items, you've got some catalogs, you've got some blueprints, and then you've got all new photos for the section dividers for the, uh, for the figures and vehicles. Each time you start a new year, you've got these kind of uh, photo dividers. I wanted to ask, I love those, by the way. I think that's a, a, a great improvement and a, and a nice kind of brand refresh for you. It feels like the European catalog dioramas that they built, were those uh, perhaps the inspiration for your section dividers? Yes, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I get that when I look at it. I'm like, okay, that's European catalog inspired. It's beautiful stuff. Really good. Without a doubt, because when I was growing up through my formative years, I, my mom's from Belgium. So there would be this weird little transition because I was collecting Star Wars and G.I. Joe and Transformers at the time, whenever we visited my relatives in this little tiny town called Tienen in, in Belgium, I'd have to make a transition where, all right, let's say the 1984 figures just came out in the United States, and then they might have even newer finger figures at the airport at either Heathrow or JFK, but when I get to Europe, I'm contending with Action Force and other brands in Belgium and the U.K., so if I picked up a boxed vehicle from a different country, particularly Western Europe, I remember looking at catalogs going, what the heck is this? This isn't, this isn't an American catalog. This is unique. So whenever I got one of those, it was highly prized for me. And I, I wanted to kind of reflect that in the chapter dividers. So yes, you, you picked up on it. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, they're, they're a really beautiful kind of visual divider you know it's just really colorful and really rich and whereas like the figure pages are predominantly white there's plenty of negative space which is a good look i think it it really helps to break up those sections how do you successfully lobby the publisher kraus for these production upgrades so it's the first hardcover that you've done and you also got another 32 pages in there how hard of a sell was that Hmm. that's a very good question (laughs) i'm very careful with what i pitch to Krause because the first thing that people need to know is I don't self-publish. Anything that I've ever worked on, it's either, you know, when I was doing textbooks, it was Bedford St. Martin's, uh, Thompson, Cengage. Now I've done stuff, tons of stuff with IDW and Krause. I don't self-publish, so any decisions are ultimately in the hands of the publishers. But even though these are my books... And I can say with 99.9% accuracy that Krause has never changed one bit of text I've ever written in 20 years. Never. I have never gotten a, you know, this doesn't work, you've got to change this. It's more 
they think big picture in terms of the packaging. The way books work is, the way the publishing world, world works is, think of the, the Shakespeare quarto and folio system, which is all books have to be printed in six by 16 pages in a multiple of 16. So when I want to do a book, if I want to add extra pages, it either has to be 16 more pages or 32 more pages. It's a multiple right. of 16. And with that goes an added cost to the consumer. So if I'm going to give an extra 32 pages, let's say, that means that we have to charge another 3 or $4 per book. So we've got to strike a balance between how thick we want the book to be, anything different, like when I did the first edition of my Ultimate Guide to Transformers, it had a lenticular cover, or if it's going to be a hardcover, because this is my second hardcover, the first one was totally tubular 80s toys, and that had a slipcase. I'll talk about that book in a second, because that book still haunts me. But <laughs> any decision that's made on the books that I do is a collaborative effort. The guy that I work with, he's the—he's basically the editor-in-chief of all the collectible books with Krause. His name's Paul Kennedy. He gets me. We understand each other. He knows that I won't pitch a book unless I know it's going to sell X amount of copies. Mm-hmm. And it has to sell, you know, you've got to sell at least five to 10,000 copies for the damn thing to be viable. I'm estimating that in order for a book that I pitch to be viable to them, we have to sell thousands of copies. We can't sell a couple hundred copies and call it a day because of the investment that Krause has to make. They have a relationship with Amazon. They have to send a photographer out to my house to to take photos. They have to lay things out. They have to make sure that the books are set up in brick and mortars in a spot. So there's there are a lot of moving parts when working with a book company rather than self-publishing. So I don't think I've ever pitched a vanity project to Krause before. I would love, love to have a book on Glamour Gales. It's one of my favorite toy lines of all time. <laughs> Kenner made it in 1980 to 1982. It is one of their play sets rival anything Kev- Kenner did with Star Wars or with the Adventures of the Indiana Jones line. Wow. I would love to do a book on Glamour Gales, but... It would be a vanity project. I think maybe you'd get 100 people to buy it. Maybe. So when people ask me, why don't you do a book on Thundercats? Why don't you do a book on Silverhawks? Why don't you do a book on Mask? And I say to them two things. The first is, count how many pieces are in the line. Mm-hmm. I'd love to do a Masters of the Universe book, but the, the vintage Masters of the Universe brand, every figure, vehicle, weapon, accessory, creature, playset, mail-away, and promotional, that doesn't even reach the target goal of 252 pages minimum. Right. There are a lot of things to consider, and preeminent among those is I've got I've to make money for the book company for them to get something back from their investment in me. Sure. Joe, that was your window. I know. I was about to say something, and you said my name, and I was like, uh, what? <laughs> Mark, I'm trying to give Joe a window here. <laughs> Okay, so seeing as the line G.I. Joe is dead, but the book that has sold so many copies pre-release and is just continually going, 
Where do you see collectors of Joe in the future? Is it just looking in the past or is there, is it going to help revive yet again another? Wow. That, no, that's a really good question because when people asked me this question about a year or a year and a half ago, my answer would have been, I think what needs to happen is what happened after the 12 inch line died in let's say 76 to 78 which was a total reimagining, a total reinvention. And that was my company line for, let's say, the past five years until I saw this groundswell of support coming based on the ARAH line. And so now I'm kind of torn. If Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow, Destro and Cobra Commander, Duke and Scarlet still have this resonance and still have this pull, maybe a reimagining in terms of a Mission Impossible John Wick squad level, more secret agent than purely military, maybe that might be the next way to go in a Marvel Legends six-inch scale. So more of a... a, um... (laughs) like a special missions, but more espionage based than, than military. Well, I think so because you have to consider, listen, I think Hasbro gives 98% of their political contributions to the democratic party. So they, to a certain extent are not going to want to push the military right now. People recoil against military toys. I live in the Hudson Valley area of New York. And Mm -hmm. we have some of the strongest toy gun laws in the world in this Mm -hmm. county. So because people are, by and large, they won't buy military toys, a good deal of them, I think maybe that reinvention might be something that would be palatable to more progressive parents who don't want toy guns in their houses. I think you're dead on, and I think it serves multiple purposes. In addition to that, on the last episode, uh, they interviewed Mark Weber, and he was saying one of the primary challenges against G.I. Joe is the fact that it is a real American hero. It's United States military-based, mm-hmm. despite the despite the presence of some international characters. It was a United States military toy line. And so for G.I. Joe to be reborn and to be successful again, it has to succeed internationally both for the movies and for the toys. And so I think going the direction that you're talking about, Mark, is uh, it satisfies that need as well to appeal to a broader, more international audience. And I think some of the failings of the line didn't really have to do with, uh, recently, the failings of the line to, to survive at retail had absolutely nothing to do with the characters or with the figures. I think it had a lot to do with the price point. I think individually carded figures a la, you know, Star Wars, the vintage collection, with a global brand like Star Wars can succeed. But when you have the real American hero attached to it, it's very difficult difficult to get that global reach. So I think reintroducing it as uh, an adventure team or an action force, or as Joe said, as kind of a, a secret agent in a higher price point a la DC's Multiverse, Marvel Legends, I think that might be the way to go. And you can still 
get Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow in there mm-hmm. as characters. I mean, there is they are as indelible as at this point as Batman and Superman and Optimus Prime and Megatron. So they might they might have to rewrite mm-hmm. some of the backstories of the characters, like Jinx. She'll have to be from Japan in order to make it more international. Absolutely. So we'll have to rewrite some of those backstories just to make it more inclusive and then take it away from just the U.S. focused. Yes, and, and to, to address what you just said and, and kind of to, to defend Larry on this, I mean, I go, mm-hmm. back, to, I go back to 1982 and, and you know, G.I. Joe was one of the most progressive, inclusive brands of all time and and i think i I still remember the metaphor he used he didn't want female soldiers walking around with their with their hands nailed to their foreheads like damsels in distress i think some of the more dangerous operatives in the gi joe universe are are the female figures and i think there's yeah absolutely and i think to a certain extent that's what made it work it wasn't just that you had Cobra Commander and Destro, but you had the Baroness who knew how to play loyalties against each other. Plus, she was a formidable fighter. The first G.I. Joe uh, comic book that I fell in love with, really fell in love with, was Night Attack, uh, issue 16. And I remember that his tank blowing up and the Baroness's glasses flying uh, it just, it was traumatizing because I was so invested in mm-hmm. that character. So when she got the plastic surgery by Dr. Huntkinder a few issues later, I just, great characterization. But, you know, Joe, you can't not be inclusive these days. Mm-hmm. You can't not. Nope. Yep. And, you know, brand me, brand me SJW, just stamp it on my forehead. But let's talk about it from a purely academic, logical standpoint, which is you want to bring in as many potential consumers as possible. And if the characters you're creating do not represent the consumer base, then you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. You've got to tap into the current breakdown in the United States. And if you don't do that, then you're going to get ignored. And that's just fiscally speaking. Hey, Mark, this actually brings up a really important point. I agree with you 100%. G.I. Joe was incredibly diverse out of the gate. And we've all heard a million times that female figures did not sell. And so that's why we didn't get a lot of them. There was a piece of artwork that I stumbled across on a wood-burning kit that showed the Wolverine, but with a male driver. I don't know who the male driver was. And, you know, in 1982, we got Scarlet on the card. But in 1983, the only female that we got was CoverGirl in the Wolverine. Then we were back to Baroness on the card. Then 85, we had Lady J. 86, we had Zarana. 87, we had Jinx. So every year we had a female figure on the card, except for 83. Do you have any kind of scoop there on what happened with CoverGirl? Might she have been intended to be single-carded and then was moved to the Wolverine or anything? Am I drawing blanks there? I think it's quite possible that she could have been originally intended, but I have the pre-production file card for CoverGirl, and it's clear, I think, from Jump Street that she was going to be 
a tank driver when she was called Hurricane Helga. Okay. Um, which was okay. her, her pre-production code name. Yeah. Um, but if you hold on... Oh, he's digging in the files. Yeah. Got him yeah. digging. It, it just <laughs> so happened too, that, that I was... That so I was many. looking through some stuff. Uh-huh. And I have... I have uh, the original file cards here. So why don't somebody ask me another question while I dig through this stuff? When Ron left the line in 1987, we also lost all of the ladies until Scarlet version (laughs) 2 in 1993. Is there a direct correlation between Ron Rudat and the ladies? Listen to me very carefully. Has anyone asked that question? (laughs) Go ahead. Go ahead. Do not ask that question. (laughs) No, I'll. I will answer it uh, diplomatically <laughs> for anyone who has ever spent time with Ron, who I value as one of the most gregarious of all these creators. He's a, yep. he's a wonderful teddy bear of a man. His wife's fantastic. Tristan's a, a great yep. dude. Ron Rudat, <clears throat> like the ladies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, oh, he yeah. does. <laughs> it's it's like once he wasn't there to lobby for the ladies, it's like the ladies just went away. It's very sad. As a kid, I remember noticing that. After yeah, Jinx, you're like where where are the girls? Where'd the ladies go? Because I yeah. collected for several more years, mm-hmm. and there were just no more ladies. The ladies in GI Joe were fascinatingly rendered. Whether it was Zorana, there are issues of of special missions where Zorana is essentially functioning in some capacity as basically the leader of a lot of these missions. And she's always been one of my favorite characters as well, particularly when looking at her pre-production file card where she was killing people with a poisoned roll of dental floss. While she was undercover as like a dental hygienist. Yeah, she's... They wrote her, or Larry wrote her as a as an incredibly dangerous operative. Yeah. Just did fascinating you- they did. Mark, did you see the original art for her where she didn't have the shoulder armor? She had bare arms and she had a dragon tattoo on the upper arm. I did. It is very hot. I mean, it is, <laughs> it is, there's no other way to put it. So they actually, Greedo actually painted her like that. And the original painting made it out onto the board game. The Live the Adventure board game has the original Zorana art with the dragon tattoo on her. I on her. did not know that. It's a beautiful painting. And it's, and it's really one of those things that you look at and you're like, it's a shame that we got the toned down version at well, retail. And I'm going to take this opportunity to say thank you, Carson. I just got my um, awesome. my books. and Awesome. Just just a, a brief digression into the artwork. Sometimes I forget just how important the artwork was for the original vintage Joe line, particularly for me, 82 and 83, where there's something about how those faces were rendered. I Flash and Breaker jumped mm-hmm. to mind. I tell this story all the time to anyone who listen. There I am in a KB toy store. I'm 11 years old. I go to the Star Wars section. I grab an Empire Strikes Back Zuckus action figure yep. for LOM, for LOM, not Zuckus. But I have this Zuckus <laughs> figure in my hand, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, cool. You know, a new Star Wars figure. You know, yep. he's all silver. He's kind of plain. He's got a gun, but it's Star Wars. So as a kid, when you're invested in a toy line, even though the toy that you potentially might be buying isn't that impressive, 
I almost felt obligated to keep on buying Star Wars figures because, well, I'd been collecting Star Wars figures for three, four years at that point. And mm -hmm. then I turned my head and I saw on the end cap, and that's what caught my eye were those explosion bursts. And I went, yep. what are these? <laughs> and what I did was I took all 11 or uh, all nine of those uh, G.I. Joe figures off the pegs. Mm -hmm. And I laid them in a row on the carpeted floor of my KB toys, and I counted the weapons for each individually carded figure. And mm -hmm. because Short Fuse came with the most accessories, that's mm -hmm. why I bought him. Wow. And then yeah. I, I had enough money to buy the Vamp with Clutch, and I went home and mm -hmm. played with them forever and ever and ever. Getting back to CoverGirl, I have her original pre-production file card in front of me. Mm -hmm. And it looks like she was intended to be a vehicle driver. So this is how it reads. Mm -hmm. Recon tank driver. There's no mention of the Wolverine. She's just called a recon tank driver. Codename Hurricane Helga. Mm -hmm. That's crossed out. And then on top of the Hurricane Helga that's crossed out, it says cover girl. Real name. It's not Courtney. It's Ariana S. Krieger. Her PMS was armor. She's born in Chicago, Illinois, E4. Subject was a high fashion model in Chicago and New York prior to enlistment. Started modeling career at age 17, but grew disillusioned with the work and the people it attracted. Enlisted to put new direction in life. Attended armor school at Fort Knox and related tech schools. Blah, 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 blah. Personality profile. Uh, this is the peer person. And he lists uh, Archie Goodwin as the colonel. Quote, a prime example of denial. She finds herself to be so beautiful that she must work against it. She is compelled to learn and master decidedly unfeminine disciplines. But in the end, the self-assurance this provides only makes her more alluring and compliments her already stunning good looks with a maddening charismatic attraction that reduces most men to stuttering imbeciles. Nice. So that's, that's the pre-production uh, file yeah. card that was typewritten by Larry Hama. So... She was called the recon tank driver from Jump Street. Great. Yeah, a lot a lot of that uh, did make it into the file card. So. Yes. yes yeah. I wouldn't have been surprised um, either. With with 83, you got to remember, too, that most of the new slots, if you will, they got filled up by the 82 characters with their swivel arms. Yes. So e even though they weren't new characters, they were still they were new figures, new builds. And so there, I don't imagine there was a lot of demand for single card characters for the 1983 edition. What do you mean by that? They only had seven new slots, right, Mike? Yeah. I think is what you're well, or excuse me, nine new slots. There was 20. We got 20 carded figures in, in 83. And of course, 11 of those were swivel versions of the original 11. So instead of getting like 11 new figures like you got in 82, you only got nine actual new figures. Right. And, but I'll, I'll tell you what, man. Having collected these figures at retail when they were first released and playing and playing and playing with the 82 figures and vehicles over and over... I still have a vivid memory of working, walking into Ames and seeing Torpedo and Tripwire and Snowjob and basically getting a nosebleed because they were so distinctly different from anything. And, and there was that little euphoric rush in my heart where, wow, if this is possible, they gave us all these basically grunts, a bunch of ground troopers, mm -hmm. you know, that weren't really 
They had specializations, but basically they're, for the most part, infantrymen, yep. uh, held weapons, whatever. Now you're getting into ski troopers and mine detector. I remember Tormod Skug. I remember Tripwire so vividly. Like, he doesn't come with a weapon. Right. But it's, but it's so cool. It's so it was. beautiful. It was. Um, and he's clumsy. Torpedo. <laughs> oh, God. And I have, uh, once my website, the interminable website, once the website <laughs> launches, there's so much stuff that Larry and Ron and Kirk have shared with me over the years. Like, there's a reason why there wasn't a G.I. Joe Transformers line at the same time. They wanted to do that, but they couldn't. Who is Tripwire based on? Who is Torpedo based on? I have all this stuff down. I just, there wasn't room in the third edition. And it'll see the light of day within the next few months. That's the huge question. I know you've been talking about this website and everybody's been following it with bated breath, just waiting for the shoe to drop. So are are you saying tonight this website will go live in the next couple months? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Really? That's amazing. What's, do you mind, is it possible at all to kind of give us an idea of the scope of the website? When the website launches, I think I'm going to have basically a, one bigger line to function as an anchor brand. So I'll probably drop Marvel Legends and DC Universe Classics and uh, up to like Multiverse stuff first. Mm-hmm. And then I would say every two or three days, another line is going to go up and add to that. Yep. But it's probably going to be, I'll probably do Captain Action and Mego first. Because I'm not just talking about the figures. When Let's say uh, you go to the website and you're looking up Marvel Superior Secret Wars. So you click on the Series 1 Wolverine and it takes you to the Wolverine entry. It's not only going to have the Wolverine, the, the Secret Wars Wolverine, his Secret Shield inserts, the Secret Shield, the Silver Claws or Black Claws. But I want, I got out my X-Men 139 and mm-hmm. show the first image of Wolverine in his brown costume. Awesome. So it's it's nice. got to be holistic like that, because, you know, when we talk about Wolverine, we want to trace the figure through the Toy Biz X-Men animated stuff mm-hmm. to famous covers to... But the only way for me to do it in a manageable way is to launch with, let's say, three or four anchors... And then add, let's say, three, two to three new lines every week for like mm. a year. For like a year. Wow. Is, is this open and available to the public and supported by advertising? Or are there going to be memberships? It'll be, or? it'll be solely by advertising, but okay. there will be some bonus content okay. um, that you can pay for. Fantastic. Woo-hoo. Awesome, man. Well, congratulations. I know you've been working on it for a long, mm-hmm. long time. And as of a lot of- last month, in just flavor text alone, I had 1.2 million words. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. I look so I've been working on it for about eight years, uh, little by little, little by little. Because, you know, and if I'm writing about the 1968 Captain Action Spider-Man outfit, you know, I have to mention that Spider-Man was only around for very, for like five years at that point. So, you know, you want to scan of Amazing Fantasy 15 and talk a little bit about the character and Stan Lee and Ditko. So, yeah. Well, I can't wait. That's going to bring a lot of people a lot of joy. And you're going to get so much positive energy and feedback from that. It's going to put fuel in your tank, man. 
I always wanted to do something like an action figure encyclopedia. And when, when Joe mentioned, I have that totally 80, tubular 80s toys book, <laughs> that, that damn book like warped my soul. If you don't know the book, Totally Tubular 80s Toys is a hardcover pink book that I released uh, about a decade ago that looks at the 1980s and I still all reference the toys. it, by the way. <laughs> What's that? I still use it as a reference. A lot of people still use it. Fine. I still use it when I have to look something up. Thank you very much, Joe. <laughs> I appreciate that. But I lived that book for about a year and a half because it's chronological. It deals with not just action figures, but I deal with stuffed toys and board games and Rubik's Cubes and Cabbage Patch Kids. Anything that was a toy that was important from 80 to 89, it's... It's organized by year. It's bookended with an essay talking about the society for that year. And then at the end of each chapter is a top 10 Nielsen-rated TV programs, top 10 box office grossing films, and top 10 billboard singles. But when I was talking about all these toy lines, anytime you pick up a book of mine, everything in that book is from my own collection. It's a rule I've always had that I will never break. I just won't do it. If I don't own it, it won't go in the book. And if I don't own it, that means I can't do the book because the book has to be complete. But when I wrote that book, I needed to write about Dino Riders, and I didn't have any samples. And I needed to write about Air Raiders, and I needed to write about Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. So it forced me to go out and buy, you know, these three samples here. But what it did was... I can't survive just having a taste of a toy line. What I'll wind up doing is working like three extra jobs so I can finally, oh my God, I finally got the, <laughs> dino, the dino Riders Brontosaurus with sealed baggies. I, so all the lines that are in that totally tubular 80s toys book are now finished. They're complete. Awesome. Um, so that was a good starting point. Whenever I write a book, I just immerse myself in whatever I'm writing about for a year, that's all I do. Well, and we joked about this online a little bit. It gives you that excuse or that validation for that kind of completist collecting mentality. You know, I personally went through and collected all the mint on card 1982 to 1994 Joes, and it was insane. We're talking $26,000 worth of carded figures just from 82 to 86 that after I documented, I sold, and that was the down payment on my house. <laughs> but it is crazy, the money that some of this stuff takes. I believe you're full-time authoring now, right? With the website yes. and the books, and that's that's everything, yes. right? Yeah. Man, you're my hero. That's amazing. Well, no, you're living no, the no, dream. no, 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 no. <laughs> All I am is, listen, I had, a, I had a background. I had a background in American literature, and I used to write composition and rhetoric textbooks, and I taught at a, at a university, and then I became the director of special programs at this university. There was a point in like 2014, 2015, and I know people who are listening have felt this. When you're driving to work, and you're driving to work, and you're just kind of dreading it, and this is the longest drive in the world. Oh, here I am at work. Uh, hit the elevator button trudge 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 uh -huh. i never want to live and kind of sleepwalk through life yep. i never want to somnambulate through the world i want to live life all the way up so 
I had to make a choice where, and it, it, and I, I was very fortunate that the second I, I left the college, all of a sudden I get this email from like a Netflix that says, hey, we're putting together a show and we'd like you to be involved. And then I did something for Amazon Prime. And so I'm glad that this wave of nostalgia and this 80s binge, whether it's the Goldbergs or using the 1980s instead of the 1950s in Stranger Things as the setting or the toys that made us, for whatever reason, when I was growing up, Gen Xers looked at the 1950s as the most hallowed, reverential decade. And now it looks like modern people, modern kids are, are looking at the 1980s as yep. that reverential decade. I wish I could go back. You know, having lived through it, I always respond with, yeah, hiding underneath desks during, you know, Cold War drills. That was great. Dungeon cover. <laughs> the desk I'm, will protect you. I've got some yeah. printouts of that. Yeah. yeah. Duck Making sure you know where the fallout shelter is in your hometown. You're right. That is fun. It yeah. is fun watching a fall, riding your bikes by a school or a church and seeing fallout shelter symbols. Yeah, it was a fun or time. Hearing, hearing the siren drills. Yeah. Oh my God! You remember? You know, it's it's like people that romanticize the Elizabethan period, and I'm like, yeah, dude, it was great if you were one of the one tenth of one of one percent of people who were landed gentry, but. You know, everybody else had no teeth and were crapping in the street. So you're right. It was romantic. (laughs) When I think about intellectual property, the number of not only toy lines, but cartoons that we had, though, we really were living in a golden age of intellectual property and just wacky out there concepts. Yeah. And and we all know who opened the floodgates, you know, Ronald Reagan deregulating children's television in September of 83. And all of a sudden you just get all the... There's a reason we didn't have Scooby-Doo action figures or a Barbie television show. Because you could have one or you could have the other. And up until 83, never the twain shall meet. I think we had to wait until 2001, I think, to get Scooby-Doo action figures. Wow. That's crazy. Oh, if you hear hear meowing, my cat Iggy is just losing his mind right now. Because I'm on his chair. Yeah. (laughs) How dare you? I just want to tell you. I have just completed the Golden Girl and Guardians of the Gemstone collection that I have. Wait a second. Yes. When you say you completed, what does that mean? How complete are we talking? I've got I've got all of the figures. They're uh-huh. alternate costumes. Uh-huh. Both horses. Uh-huh. The castle. I'm waiting this- for the big No, you don't. I have the castle. Do you really have the castle? I do, but... But... <laughs> but... Castle Envy? Got a little castle Envy going on? That is one of the most challenging play sets to find complete in the United yes. It's impossible. The Get hinges... so the, beautiful. The oh. hinges still work, my friend? Uh, wow, no rust. No. No gunk, no. nothing. Wow. No. What a but, play set. The uh, gazebo on top, I haven't put the posts in because I'm terrified. <laughs> I'm going to snap well, plastic. Wait, why don't, no, why don't you do, when, when it comes to stuff like that, what I would do is I would take those original posts, I would pack them away. I look at fragile pieces like that 
like when I was playing Magic the Gathering back in the late 90s, early 2000s, you need to use a proxy instead of using your Black Lotus in, a, in an actual game of cards of Magic the Gathering. Go to a 3D printer, print out those posts via three-dimensional printing, use those instead of the originals, but just keep the originals because there are certain things that don't work anymore. Like, I have three Black Star Ice Castles in my garage right now, and they were all unbroken when I bought them. But you breathe on them wrong, you look at them funny. It's like people talking about the elbow joints on cracked elbows on Joe figures. That's happening in carded figures. Or I just was looking at the... Have you ever seen the Spectra dowel line? Yep. Mm-hmm. They're, they're like Barbies, but they're chromed. I just realized that I made a mistake buying those sealed in box because the, the chrome parts rub against the box itself inside. So there is more chromeware on the boxed samples than on loose samples. So it's a lot of weird things are happening over the course of the, the two to four decades for a lot of these toys. I was just checking my Joes. I don't think I have one cutter whose blue chest, the chest behind the vest, hasn't oxidized and turned this awful gray-green blue. It's just what happens over time, I guess. Yeah. Well, my next thing to complete now is, so I bought a bunch of figures, guys, from Mark years ago, the saga of Kristar. I still yes. have those figures. I'm missing a few because I didn't buy all of them off of you. But okay. I have a few, and that, that's my next hunt. And uh, the October Guard set from the club. Those oh, good are luck. My... That is yeah. so expensive. I know, I know. But I and want the, I just, I was wondering why I had a double of Warbow and a double crossbow. This is Chris Star Saga, Crystal Warrior. And apparently there were variations on the crossbow and on the bandolier oh. for, for the Chris Star figures. So when that line goes live... I'll put it up on the website as well. Thank you. That actually does lead to a question that I had. We know you have made numerous references to during our correspondence that you you don't listen to any other podcasts. So since this is our rare opportunity to get you to an audio medium, what are you looking for to complete your collections that our listeners may be able to help you out? The number one piece I'm looking for right now is from Ideals, the Chipmunks line. Anyone who laughs, go ahead, get it out. I'll wait. All right, no laughing. Good. Ideals Chipmunks line, 1984. If you look at some of the later released figures, on the back of the posable PlayPal Chipmunks figures, there was a mail-away for that line, a Super Elven mail-away. I'm looking for that. God, there's really not that much that I'm looking for. Uh, I want to make sure that I have my Fantastic Four, my Toy Biz Fantastic Four movie figures. I need a few Fantastic Four classics, but there's really, that's there's not really much. But yeah, I really would like to, to get that Super Elven mail-away figure for the Posable Play Pals, Pals. 1984 ideal. I missed out on one because I didn't do the search right, so that's my own fault. I'm being punished by the cosmos. Yeah, that's got to be it at this point. Yes. I'm, I'm impressed that you've made the steps to find out that it actually exists, though. I know that was in question for a while. Not only did I find out that it existed, I have a photo of it during an auction 
So I will take it. It is absolutely in existence. I'm so excited for you, and you're, you're writing for the Toys That Made Us. You're obviously doing new book projects. I'm sure you've got some books cooking. You're doing your website. Is there, is there anything else that you're working on that we don't know about? Well, the website is pretty eminent right now, but what I can say is I'm working on two book projects. One of them I already hinted at, which is probably going to be the second edition of my Star Wars book. We'll release that in hardcover format, and uh, we're going to put in the entire micro-collection, the Bespin world, the Death Star world, the Hoth world, and all the vehicles for the micro-collection. We're going to put the three waves of die-cast pieces in there, and we're going to do any role-play that was produced by Kenner in the 70s and 80s. So Han's laser pistol, the various lightsabers, the inflatable ones, the static. So, yes, uh, that that will be released next year. That is coming out next year. Very cool. Uh, and then oh, another project, another book project that's going to be pretty big, but I signed an NDA, so I cannot talk about it at all. Fair enough. But two books. You should you should be able to see two books next year, season three of The Toys That Made Us, and uh, hopefully the website within the next two and a half, three months. Excellent. Looking forward to all of it, man. Really appreciate all the time and effort you put into preserving our, our childhood toy lines, man. You're welcome. And, you know, it's it's not effort. You know, I, I don't yep. think of it as as work. Yep. You know what I'm saying? It's just I listen. If I didn't get paid, I would do this. Right. <laughs> this is how I would live, live life. You do it anyway. Yep. That's Absolutely. right. Exactly. Any, any Absolutely. truth to the rumor but, that you're taking on noted author James Cavanaugh in the steel cage at next WrestleMania? <laughs> I have. I, I don't really. I've been in a few scraps. Uh, in my day but have you you've met james right absolutely oh he's james crazy yeah. <laughs> so he's scrapping. uh he's never scrapping. never never fight crazy don't yeah. ever do it plus he's one of the nicest guys in the world so you know and and i'll, I'll make that plug i get a question question all the time why haven't you put out a second volume of G.I. Joe from 97 to 2000. Well, James already did it. I mean, it's there. Go to the uh, R.A.C.H. guides, and and they're there. I I don't need to do it. If you want more information about the inside stuff, Dan Klingensmith has has done it with his guides. So the great thing about being a G.I. Joe fan is between Carson's art book and Dan's deep dive into the background stuff and James's stuff, we all of us have have the world covered, and that's why I like this community. Is because we're all friends and we all know each other, and it's about support and not dissent, like I've seen in some other communities. It's it's been amazing. All the authors are incredibly supportive of each other, and and we all have like our own kind of lane. Like we've all bitten off a, a different little piece of the pie to work on. It's amazing that it worked out that way. The the way that you just kind of summarized the four book series is. It's amazing. There's not a lot of overlap, and and so I no, think they all, they all it's serve expansive. A yeah, they also yeah. like when I got my my package of of your uh, your books on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I'm like, listen, I got a lot of work to do. I can't look at this right now. I'm like, well, but I, <laughs> let's unwrap it and put it on the shelf. And oh, wait a second. Oh, oh yeah, I, that was my. And I look up. I'm like, oh my god, the Patriots are playing. What are you doing? Yeah, awesome. Well, it made me really, really happy. I, I, 
to see your order came through. It, it definitely yes. was a joy. So, because, you know, I bought your book, the second edition, back in 2009, I think, right when it came out. And I was down, I'll never forget it. It was one of those moments. I was down at Myrtle Beach. I, it was summertime. My parents had a little a condo down there back at the time. And I was with my girlfriend at the time and we stopped into the bookstore and I found your book and I paid her no attention the rest of the day. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget it. Like just finding that book was such a time warp to me. And I so I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it, man. So to see you now ordering the art books that I put together is a thrill. That's why she's referred to as his Thank girlfriend you. at the time. His ex-girlfriend. Right? <laughs> well, you Good know, point. it's, we're so fortunate uh, to be talking about and adding to the stuff that we worshipped as kids. If you had told me 30 or 40 years ago that, you know what you're going to be doing for a job? You know that stuff that you're playing with and writing about right now? Yeah, you're going to be doing that 40 years from now. I would think you're crazy. But, you know, we're, we're fortunate to be living in the times that we live. Very, sure. very, very lucky. So. For sure. And and thank you, everyone who's listening to this. You know, if you ever have a question about G.I. Joe or, or other toy lines, you can get me on Facebook, and I usually respond within an hour. It's my job. So if you have a question, if you have a query, if you need to get pointed into the right direction, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. That's my job. Awesome. And, th- and thank you. Thank you, Mike and, and Carson and Joe. I, I love coming on. Uh, I've got to do it more often. But do you hear Iggy in the background losing? Oh yeah, yes. She wants that. Yeah. Come here, come here, buddy. <laughs> he wants what is on the wrong program. With you? <laughs> What's wrong with you, weirdo? So, Mark, for the folks at home, one last time, give them the study sure. on the book and where they can find it and purchase it for their very own. You can find the Ultimate Guide to GI Joe, nineteen eighty-two to nineteen ninety-four, usually at any large brick-and-mortar bookstore. Barnes and Noble, you can find it at Books a Million. They may have copies at your Walmart or at your local Target. If you can't get it at a brick and mortar, by all means, Amazon just received a huge shipment to satisfy all the back orders. Go with where it's cheapest. If it's cheaper at Walmart, if it's cheaper in store, you know, it, it, it should be available pretty much everywhere. We sold out of the entire first printing. But we've rectified that. So if you order on Amazon now, you should be able to get it in time for Xmas and the holiday season. Awesome. Mark, it has been a pleasure. You have an open door. Whenever you want on, we, we have a right microphone now. for you. I, yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very, very much, guys, for having me. I appreciate it. Any, Thank you very Anytime much. you say the word, you're in, and we got you taken care of. Right on. Mark's a busy man. He's got stuff to do. So yes. Thanks again for tuning in to this very special <laughs> special edition of What's on Joe Mind. We'll catch you the next time. Have a good evening. Yo, Joe. All right, you chipmunks. Ready to sing your song? I'll say we are. Yeah, let's sing it now. Okay, Simon. Okay. Okay, Theodore. Okay. Okay, Alvin. Alvin. Alvin!
Get ready. That was very good, Simon. Naturally. Very good, Theodore. <laughs> uh, Alvin, you were a little flat. Watch it, uh, Alvin. Alvin. Let's not overdo it. What do you mean overdo it? We want to sing it Now, wait a minute, boys. Yes, Freddy, why can't we sing it Alvin, cut that out. Wait, 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 w